Farmer was sitting on the porch of his house one day when a stranger came by and asked, how's things? Well, tolerable, said the farmer. And he continued, two weeks ago a tornado came along and knocked down all the trees I would have had to chop down for this winter's firewood. And then last week, lightning struck the brush I had planned to burn to clear the fields for planting. Well, the stranger said, that's remarkable. What are you doing now? And the farmer answered, I'm waiting for an earthquake to come along and shake the potatoes out of the ground. Some people spend their whole life waiting for something good to happen to them while expending the least amount of effort possible. In my childhood years, my father asked me to tackle some of the mundane but necessary chores around the yard. I loved the idea of the jobs being done. I wasn't thrilled about the idea of doing them. I had a hard time getting motivated. And when he came by later to see how I was doing, I said, Dad, I haven't done what you asked yet but I will when I get around to it. So later the day, when I still hadn't completed the work, he gave me this gift. Yes, here it is, around to it. And he expected me to get the work done. Well, you know what I'm talking about. We've all had to contend with that professional thief called procrastination. And his specialty is stealing time and motivation. And he's so good at his job. Charles Swindle describes him this way. He can outtalk any student when it comes to homework. He can outthink an executive when it comes to correspondence. He can outwork any homemaker when it comes to vacuuming or doing dishes. He can outlast any parent when it comes to discipline. He can outsmart any salesman when it comes to selling. There are those who make their home in Neverland. The grads that never get set in order, the bills that never get paid on time, the crucial conversation that is never had, the job that is never applied for, the deadlines that are never met, the work that never gets done, the apology that is never made, the relationship that is never reconciled, the promises that are never kept. All the things we should have done, could have done, would have done if only we had gotten around to it. Now this summer, we're walking through the book of Proverbs in this ancient tweet series, and we're talking about how life works best by applying the experience and advice of one of the wisest men who ever lived. And we've learned that wisdom is the ability to make godly choices in life. Wisdom is applying God's truth to the details of life. And a proverb is a short, memorable nugget of wisdom that is highly practical and concerned with the consequences of a course of behavior. Now, proverbs are generally principles, not promises, a proverb tells you this, this is how life works basically, this is how it works normally. Now, exceptions are assumed, but the proverb points us in the direction of successful living, but it does not carry us all the way to our destination. The proverbs demonstrate living well before God in specific, practical, and meaningful terms. They illustrate how life works best. And one of the ways the proverbs make their wisdom memorable 
is attaching their truth to unforgettable personalities that illustrate their point. And so today, I want us to consider one of those caricatures, the sluggard. And let us consider together what good lessons we can learn from this bad example. Well, what is a sluggard? Well, a sluggard is someone who has a hard time in life doing what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, in the way it needs to be done. In fact, a sluggard's favorite song is, tomorrow, tomorrow, I love ya, tomorrow, you're always a day away. The sluggard uh, is given this exhortation in the scriptures. Behold the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. You know how an ant colony works. We've all seen them. You know that ants are industrious, busy, cooperative, persistent, and intentional workers. They exemplify the very traits that every sluggard lacks. We know what ants are like. They know it needs to be done, when it needs to be done, and they do it. But what about sluggards? What do they look like? While well, borrowing from the rich palette of the book of Proverbs, biblical scholars Derek Kidner and Derek Brown paint this colorful picture of the sluggard. Number one, the sluggard will not start things. The sluggard has a difficult time with initiative. Inertia rules in their lives. He never seems to get traction and is endlessly spinning his wheels. She shows up for the race but never gets out of the starting blocks. Sluggards love to talk big. They have the best of intentions. The sluggard talks of great plans, but he just can't seem to put them into action. Instead, she may be distracted by pleasure or entertainment, or he may be simply unwilling to get dirty and get to work. Whatever is the case, the sluggard is known from a lack of genuine accomplishment since he can't seem to get things in gear. But there's a second characteristic of the sluggard. Sometimes he just doesn't get things finished. So even if you find the initiative to start something, you may not be in the clear. You may still be a sluggard. Another quality of the lazy man or woman is that they can't finish things. They're big on promises, but weak on follow through. And once he or she gets to work and bumps up against some difficulty or resistance, all motivation evaporates and the sluggard retreats back into a life of ease. The sluggard is a master of procrastination. His motto is never do today what you can put off until tomorrow. While cleaning out his desk, a man found a shoe repair ticket that was about 10 years old and figuring he had nothing to lose, he went back to the shop and gave the ticket to the repairman who began to search the back room for unclaimed shoes. Now, after several minutes, he reappeared and returned with the ticket, and he said, uh, what's wrong? Couldn't you find my shoes? And uh, the repairman said, oh, I found them all right. They'll be ready next Friday. There is somebody who has a growing stack of half-read books on his desk, a host of home projects still awaiting completion, multiple promises to family and friends left unfulfilled, a gem membership that hasn't been used in forever. This is the sluggard. They just can't get it finished. Thirdly, the sluggard rationalizes away their inactivity. A sluggard tends to refuse to face the hard task. And when confronted with a, a tough decision or potentially hard conversation, the sluggard is thrown into indecision and easily distracted by anything that allows him or her to avoid facing the issue. The sluggard has the amazing ability to rationalize away doing what really needs to be done. 
She is a master of self-justification, and to mask his laziness, he will find refuge in cowardly excuses like, there's a lion outside, I shall be killed if I go out on the street. It's not uncommon for the sluggard to craft spiritual-sounding excuses for not working hard by appealing to the biblical teaching on the necessity of rest, the fact that salvation is not by works after all, and the need for a balanced life. The danger of acquiring wealth and so it goes on, etc., etc. But it's all a smokescreen. As a result, number four, the sluggard is always anxious and restless because he's living contrary to the way God has made him to work and to build and to accomplish and to create. We're made in God's image, after all. The lazy person is constantly restless and full of anxiety. He or she may long for greater productivity and accomplishment, but because of his or her unwillingness to work, they exist in a perpetual state of craving without fulfillment. And eventually, these unfulfilled desires wreak serious havoc on the sluggard's life. But that's not all. The sluggard lives with constant turmoil. It's beset by a constant trouble. Since he fails to complete his work in the allotted hours, he's constantly in a hurry to fulfill his responsibilities and often annoys those around him for taking up all his time. The sluggard may have financial trouble or live in perpetual messiness at home. She may not be able to keep a job for any length of time because of her inability to discipline her time, to shun distraction and to work hard. Simple responsibilities like paying bills and maintaining his vehicle may be neglected and cause unnecessary friction. The sluggard may desire to grow spiritually, but the disciplines of the regular Bible reading, prayer, and theological and devotional study, going to church and consistent gospel relationships are just too much for him or her to bear. And so as a result, number six, the sluggard is a disappointment to others. Because the lazy person is unwilling to work hard and develop his or her skills, they have little to offer other people. They're mostly a bother to those who might require their service. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the slugger to those who send them, according to Proverbs. Unproductive, unfocused, concerned about self more than others, the slugger drives his employers nuts and won't survive long in any environment that requires diligence or self-denial. The sluggard is self-deceived, number seven. A sluggard's commitment to serve self and maintain idle existence may be so strong that he will oppose any arguments from anyone who attempts to nudge him out of his bed or away from his computer or his cell phone. The sluggard's self-decession manifests itself in the grand plans that resist outside critique and really have little basis in reality. In every case, the sluggard will walk in and out of conversations with his counselors convinced that he is smarter than them all. Proverbs says the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. And finally, the sluggard won't become a leader. Sadly, because of his laziness, the sluggard will not wield much influence. He certainly won't become a leader. For leadership requires diligence and sacrifice, long hours, pain, and perseverance. The slugger despises these qualities, so he will labor under the supervision of those who have devoted themselves to hard work. Proverbs says the hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Okay, we have all known people who fit this description. And if we're really honest here, sometimes we have fit this description for a season or maybe even for a lifetime. So what is it with the sluggard? What is his or her problem? 
Well, the sluggard's problem is sloth, one of the seven deadly sins. Now, sloth is an old-fashioned word, but very much in current practice. Floss is a sin of the spirit and not the flesh. It is a sin of omission, the absence of a positive behavior rather than the presence of a negative one. Most people think of sloth as simple laziness, not doing much of anything, just sitting around and doing nothing. But there's another side to this coin called sloth. Many people stay busy most of the time, but don't do the things they should really be doing, putting them off for later. They may be staying busy, so they have an excuse, but sloth is a kind of spiritual laziness as opposed to mere physical fatigue or depression. It means not making it a priority to do what we should or to change what we should in ourselves. Some people might call it apathy, which means a lack of feeling. The sin of sloth is not mere laziness, but a lack of intense work towards any kind of goal. And we live in a world characterized by boredom and depression. Many people have no all-consuming drive that gives meaning to their lives, and slothness is a coldness of spirit. If you pick up a dictionary, you will discover that sloth includes laziness, a disposition to avoid exertion, and indolence. Sloth is the opposite of enthusiasm. It's the opposite of enjoyable activity. Sloth is related to pride. It is excessive self-love that leads to disinterest in an activity and an unwillingness to help others. Sloth is the self-absorbed aversion to anything that requires effort or diligence or sacrifice. Henry Fairley puts it this way, of all the seven deadly sins, sloth may be the most distinctively modern. Nothing so clearly distinguishes modern Western society from all previous societies has its sloth. Sloth is the hatred of all spiritual things which entail effort or faint-heartedness in any matter of difficulty. Sloth is the desire for comfort and eve, whatever it takes, even at the expense of doing the known will of God. Well, whatever we do in life requires effort. And the slothful person is unwilling to do what needs to be done, even when God wants it, because of the effort it takes to do it. Sloth is the climate of the modern age in which we live. Sloth is the lack of passion. It is sometimes best summed up in the teenage refame, whatever. Passion for anything is better than passion for nothing. Dorothy Sayers describes sloth like this. It is the sin which believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, lives for nothing, enjoys nothing, loves nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and only remains alive because there is nothing it would really die for. And sloth also destroys community by reducing our capacity in love and care for others, which takes sacrifice. And through our sloth, we can grow apathetic towards loving others while pursuing truth and righteousness. This is a sin that can be manifested in numerous different ways, indifference, non-involvement, cynicism, and self-centeredness. Now, sloth is still very much the style wherever you look. So is there anything we can do about it? Well, according to the book of Proverbs, you can change your appetite. You've heard the good news about the sluggard. Is there any good news? Yes. When it comes to the sluggard, Proverbs holds out more hope than it does for the fool, another character in the book of Proverbs. 
The sluggard can be rescued if they will turn it around and pursue the way of wisdom. And so the writer of Proverbs gives them this instruction. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. A wise man learns while there is still time. He knows that the sluggard is really not such a freak of nature, but is often or not an ordinary man or woman who has simply made too many excuses, too many refusals, and too many postponements. He or she has just little by little fallen asleep to getting the most out of life. Biologist Thomas Huxley unintentionally echoed the teaching of Proverbs when he wrote, perhaps the most valuable result of all education is the ability to make yourself do the thing when you have to do it, when it ought to be done, whether you like it or not. It is the first lesson that ought to be learned. And however early a man's training begins, it is probably the last lesson he learns thoroughly. Well, the biblical counterpoint to sloth is a passionate hungering after righteousness. This is what Jesus taught. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The opposite of sloth is a hunger for a vibrant spirituality, whatever the cost. Seeking overcomes sloth. Zeal is the energetic response of the heart to God's commands. The sluggard hungers and thirsts for the easy way, the comfortable life. But the wise person hungers and thirsts for pleasing God and loving others. And because no one else but God is self-sufficient, everything in creation has a hunger, whether it is for food or for meaning or for love. Hungering and thirsting is a sign of being alive. It's the hallmark of a healthy person, actually. Hungering and thirsting to be right with God is basic to being filled. A spiritual appetite is essential to every believer, and spiritual hunger is a deep desire to be right with God, a desire that pro provokes action to draw near to God and become like Jesus. Indulging sloth is actually contrary to our God-given design as human beings carry out their calling to be followers of Christ. But we can't draw ourselves out of the morass of an action by sheer determination. We really need God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, who compels us to get moving so that it might be useful and a blessing to God and to others. The Spirit enables us to courageously face and complete the difficult tasks in life and to avoid unnecessary trouble and the turmoil of sloth and laziness. If we make the decision to change our appetite, get in gear, and pursue the abundant life that Jesus promised to impart, what will be on the menu? Well, Paul in the book of Romans helps us out here. It begins with caring commitment. Paul says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. We owe respect and honor, not just to God, but to one another. We are to display respectful, self-denying, self-giving love to one another. It's going to cost us time and energy, and it will include risk and suffering and demand our all, but then we will really be living the way God designed us to live. Zealous diligence. Never be lacking in zeal, Paul says, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Zeal is to accompany all of our deeds. Zeal, not just to God, but to one another. Since you have been in obedience to the truth, purified your soul with a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. That's what Peter says in his letter. And then courage is the third thing. Be joyful in hope, patient in action, faithful in prayer. Courage is the attitude of facing and dealing with anything recognized as dangerous or difficult, as painful, instead of withdrawing from it, according to Webster's Dictionary. Life is about making an effort for the things that matter. It is about facing challenges and setbacks and overcoming them with the resources that God surprised, supplies. Now, every day, 
we have the opportunity to choose a diet of the easy and the comfortable and the immediate, or we can sink our teeth into those things that matter and make a difference here and now and for eternity. We can settle for coasting through life or we can engage life with passion and purpose. The sluggard can change his or her spots and take the way of wisdom if they have the stomach for change and a new way of living. So what is the final assessment of the book of Proverbs about the sluggard? It is the sobering reality of today's big idea, and I'm boring right from the text. The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. So which way would you rather travel? For the sluggard, life is ever complicated and disappointing and haunted by the pain of regret for what might have been. Well, today, you can make a new start and get traction in the direction of your best life. And it all begins with the proactive decision to invite Jesus Christ into your life. When you decide to follow Christ, he will live in you by his spirit and empower you to make the changes you need to make to live the life that you've always wanted. Is this a decision that you're prepared to make today? Well, I would like to invite you to make that decision. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, I want to pray a prayer with you right now that if you pray it with me with a sincere heart, you can move in the direction of the best life that you can imagine. And so won't you pray with me? My God and Father, I recognize that sometimes I haven't lived the way I should have lived. Sometimes I've let things go that I shouldn't have let go and I've ignored relationships I should have ignored. At the end of the day, I'm a sinner and I recognize that today. But I'm grateful for the grace of God displayed in Jesus Christ. And so today, I come confessing my sin, and especially if it's the sin of, of sloth, and I lay it at the foot of the cross. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to live the kind of life that I've always longed for. Help me to be a blessing to you and to others. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, if you've made that decision for the very first time, there is a number on the screen. Text that number and there's a pastor on the other end that will get in touch with you and uh, help you to take the next step in your walk of faith. God bless you, everyone.